Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Anish Hallen, who is the go-to man to talk about everything burnout related. I took a lot away from this one. I'm sure you're going to too. It's it's a big topic at the moment and actually if it's something you're thinking about or worried about or on your mind I, I really think you're gonna get some great wisdom from this and I think you're gonna enjoy it if this is your first time here I wish you a very warm welcome I really hope you enjoy this podcast I'm sure you're going to uh, let me know your favorite bit on social media at 10q interview everywhere you may look and most importantly don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you are listening to this it would also mean the world to me and Anish too, no doubt, if you share this episode far and wide, there is probably at least one person you'll think of when listening to it, if not several who would benefit from also listening to it too. So make sure to share it with them. I think it's an important topic that we discuss throughout this. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Now, on to the podcast. Anish, welcome to Thank You Interview. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Uh, busy morning no doubt so i appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule um, no worries my pleasure to be here um have you done many podcasts um i've done a few a few i'm getting warmed up more and more now but um i'm still a podcaster in training are you yeah. is, is it something you're actively trying to do more of um i'd like to do some um a bit later down the line but yep. um i think i'm sort of in the early stages of just attending podcasts at the moment and uh, before okay. i learn to think about how i do my own <laughs> probably probably wise um okay let's move on then question number one anish you meet a stranger and they ask you what you do what is it you're most likely to say to them so i i help prevent burnout in the workplace especially okay. in tech orgs um and i do that by basically running workshops both for leadership teams so helping them understand that the landscape of work and the employees have completely changed in the last sort of five to 10 years. Yeah. And what they demand is completely different now. So old rules don't work anymore. Um, and on the employee side, I also offer workshops that help with mental resilience. So whether that be mindfulness, um, breathing exercises and focus, I both equip the um, leadership team and the employee themselves to, okay. with the skills to prevent burnout. I mean, it's a hot topic at the moment, isn't it, burnout? Like everywhere, you know, particularly go on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, you see see it a lot. The people who come to you, are they mainly employees or founders or company? Is it a mix of everything? Or is there, is there something that stands out, I guess? Um, I'd, say, I'd say it's a mix of everything, but there is definitely a, um, you know, a real need from the leadership team to get help now. Um, right. I think there was this this view before that burnout was about overwork. It was just overwork. It was like take time off that solves burnout. Yeah. And that is a far too simplistic um, answer to what is a very, very um, complex issue, really. So I think the, the main thing that I always say is that um, I've lived the journey. I spent 12 months off work with really, really bad burnout, um, physically, emotionally, um, and mentally exhausted. Um, and okay. I, I always tell this in my story that <clears throat> at the time I was working for a startup and, um, I was like, I'd run like 10 Ks on my lunch break. I'd be working long hours. And 12 months later, I was really, my day consisted of basically getting out of bed, going downstairs, lying on the sofa, 
Um, and I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't even turn the TV on. It sounds crazy. Um, so I completely collapsed. Um, I went from like, you know, as I, as I thought I was invincible, I genuinely did. I honestly thought I was invincible to getting a nice sort of dose of reality. (laughs) Um, so yeah. So, So what led to that then? So I think like this is where it gets really interesting because, and why I believe, um, I can help people now because, burnout happens because of a multitude of factors and for me if i go through them um so i'm not from london originally i'm from the midlands and um i've always grown up in suburbia that's been close to green spaces Uh, but towards the end of my um, career in london i was living in shepherd's bush i was commuting to soho where i was working in like a super central location yeah. And one of the main factors was what I actually wasn't able to find rest. I wasn't able to rest. So what I mean by that is after a long day's work, I'd get back on a central line home, which everyone knows is a, just a <laughs> horror of a line. <laughs> yeah. I'd go into busy shepherd's bush and then shut my door and I'd just hear sirens and, um, police cars and everything going past. And my body was never able to just, you know, relax yourself exactly yeah that that was one of the issues um but the other main issue actually was um i've always worked very very um close to ceos founders um and i think at the time the the sort of previous 10 years of my career i've always been very like work 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 what what were you doing sorry Um, yes i was a i was a um, a product a product person a product manager a head of product um and I built my own startup as well. That's how I first entered the industry when I was 21. Um, but um, I've always worked very closely to CEOs, which means that really I'm also in a very intense position. I'm expected to work long hours to get stuff done, which is you know what I loved before. Yeah. But one of the things I didn't realize was that actually I changed. And it sounds silly, and it, but I think humans are so bad at embracing change and, and knowing that we've changed. Mm-hmm. But um, the same year I got burnout, um, I actually got married. And I think it was deep down, it was a almost like a symbol that I'm done with being this workaholic sort of, you know, work is everything. And yep. actually I wanted a different part of my life to now expand, like, you know, the family life and the nature and stuff like that. So that was that was the other factor. And then the third factor for me, which I actually found out towards the end of the like, um, investigation into my burnout was around, um, a purpose. And this is one of the things I think is massively, um, you know, and we don't talk about this very much, but I love being a product manager. I genuinely did for like 12, 13 years, but towards the end of it, I was doing a job that I could honestly do with my eyes closed but it was causing me so much stress. I don't know why. I just had no energy anymore for it. And changing that to doing what I'm doing now has been like night and day. It's unbelievable. It's just been like, you know, it's almost as if I wasn't looking for a silver bullet, but it was one of the silver bullets that um, really helped me to start, uh, you know, finding energy again. So, yeah, that, that's a sort of little potted history in that sense. Purpose is a word I'm hearing more and more and more about 
I guess I guess the context is burnout, but maybe just about life in general, right? About just you should be working with a purpose in mind, and it, and it is something I think about a lot about what is my purpose, and I mean just jump in if I've misinterpreted, but so what people are saying, and I guess what you're saying is if you're not working towards a purpose, then that adds an added layer of stress to your life, does it? Yeah, I think. I mean, if you if you sort of look back at our parents' generation, they would have. Um, I remember talking to somebody about this, like the salaries we can earn now in our thirties. Yeah, majority of our parents probably earned when were maybe in their forties or fifties. If and ever, right? Exactly, if ever. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're you're getting to the age of like thirty. And then you've got the salary, you've got the job, you've got the house, and you're sort of saying, saying to yourself, well, hold on, I've got to work for the next 30 years, or, or I, I would like to work for the next 30 years. And do I want to, like, what, what's next? And I think yeah. that's, that's what people are questioning. And also the very fact that, you know, we have an environmental crisis, you know, we have polarization in politics, we have, you know, lots of different cultures that are <clears throat> expanding and you know, lots, lots of new, you know, quote unquote revolutions coming through. I think it's too simplistic now to just expect people to like go to work, come back from work, live for the weekend in, in anymore. And I think yeah. this is what people are questioning themselves and saying like, how do I contribute to this? So I've got, I've got a couple of questions. One is, oh, I don't know which order to ask them in. Um, how, did, how did it manifest itself of you? Like, how did you... I mean, I, I assume you went through this period where you were burning out and then did something happen that then you like sent you over the edge like, like to, to be fully burned out? How, how did that look? Yeah, so here's a story. So I actually think I, but it sounds strange, but I think I burnt out three times in four years. Okay. And what I mean by that was, is that I would, I would burn out. I'd take a bit of time off and then I'd go back to a job again, but it would always be a very quick decline into burnout again. But um, the sort of the kicker, really, the bit that, you know, um, really made a difference was that I, I actually had a panic attack okay. in front of 40 people when I was working so at Facebook. Um, so I joined Facebook um, and I was a product manager there in the integrity team working on basically trying to stop um, hackers hacking Facebook. And I guess to the external world, right? That was the jo dream job for you, right? Exactly. And, um, yeah. you know, I was working all hours of the day and I was stood up, at, I stood up in a meeting. I hadn't slept for more than like two hours, three hours the night before, cause I'd been working late and I was anxious. And then I remember saying to my wife after, like, I'd, I thought I had a muscle, my muscles were spasming. Basically I said, oh, this weird thing happened to me. I, I didn't know what it was. I was just talking out loud. And suddenly it was as if like my whole body got taken over and I stuttered and I was just left there thinking, I mean, it was like frozen in front of 40 people yeah and I remember walking out and like I was like I said I was in Soho and um finding like the smallest amount of green space you can find in Soho and um just collapsing on the floor and just being like like what's happened to my life like I don't understand I've gone from being super energetic super happy to being like you know a shell of a human being and yeah, with this with this panic attack that at the time I didn't know had happened. So yeah, that was the that was the sort of the moment, shall I say? Okay. So what 
I guess the key to this is is spotting this before it gets to that stage where you're curled up in a ball and a bit of grass outside, I don't know, Hanover Square probably, imagine. Yeah. Um, what, what should people be looking out for so they don't get to that point? That's a really good question. Um, I think the first thing is, is look at the um, sort of key elements of your life. So whether that be your sleep, your digestion, your your mood, the sort of, um, let's call them the pillars of your life as such. Okay. If you start noticing that those things, um, you know, there's disruptions in those things, whether it be like you, you know, you're waking up at like two or three o'clock in the morning regularly, or you're struggling to get to sleep, or suddenly like, you know, you, you don't feel as well. Um, that they're sort of, that's what I call like a physiological sign that something could be happening to your body. Okay. Um, I think the second one is around, um, feeling overwhelmed. That's probably the biggest thing is when you start to notice, um, overwhelm in a situation where you'd normally be thriving or be totally calm, that's a signal that you're, you know, you're not having the capacity to do what you would normally do. Um, and it's a time to start questioning, you know, why really? So, okay. yeah, I'd say it's a mixture of both being overwhelmed and sort of, you know, feeling anxious and things that you would never have felt before, um, as well as like looking at the physiological factors as well. I guess the the reason it's a, a tough conversation for a lot of people is because I, I, I imagine that people don't understand where it's sort of, it's just everyday life or it's like a particularly tough day or, you know, maybe this project at work or this thing's a little bit harder than normal and actually it's just a one-off or is it a kind of an accumulative thing? I, 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 don't know. I guess I'm trying to get people who listen to this to think, oh, you know, how can they spot this stuff or how can they know that if it's impacting them? And like I know for example, myself, like some days I just work, wake up, I've had a bad night's sleep or something. It's like, oh, do you know what? I just can't, can't face it today or it's going to be a tougher day than perhaps, an, you know, another day. And I'm trying to work out in my head is like how I know whether or not that's an overwhelmed thing or just a one-off. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, I think put simply, it's, is this happening on a regular basis? And okay. I'm, talk I'm talking like weeks now. So it's been weeks since I've been sleeping poorly. And yeah, I might have a project that's a bit more intense, but if it's like, you know, week after week that I'm, you know, that that sleep is being disrupted and once that project's been submitted and you've had a little bit of time just to sort of recalibrate, if you're still feeling the same yeah. symptoms, it's, it's, that's probably the time where you need to start questioning like what's going on. Because like you said, I don't, I don't think it's possible to be in complete balance the whole time. And maybe as humans, we don't want that. But the idea is, is that over time you should be able, if you do have a, a peak in the amount of work you're doing or your stress, the idea is at some point that comes down, you expect it to come down. And if it doesn't come down, you know, we're yeah. talking weeks, you know, even maybe a month or two here, a couple of months. If you, if you still feel like these symptoms of feeling anxious, not sleeping well, you know, being ratty, if they're, if they're happening, then that's a signal basically. Is it, is it harder to identify when you're in the, in the depths of it? Um, yes, because I think, you know, to use uh, Seth Godin's term, the dip, when you're in the dip, I think yeah. you're, you're suddenly, your health is and well-being is already tremendously impacted yeah. so your decision making is just all over the place 
and you're you know you're much more you, you're probably going to make conclusions that are not as uh as balanced as you were had you done them a few weeks ago so yeah i think when you're in it like it's you're trying every the weird thing about i think a lot of humans is that we we keep denying change we keep thinking oh actually no i'm okay i'm okay like i'll be fine i'll just have a couple more coffees and i'll you know i'll, I'll go out this weekend or whatever i'll sleep it through but yeah yeah i think it i think it's there yeah, it's tough isn't it um one thing that struck to my sprung to my head and i guess it's probably a follow-on from that what i just said a minute ago but when you speak to people who are going through this or have been through this does optimism or pessimism occur as a like a, a thing um I, I probably would say actually there is um, a lot of optimists who burn out um that is something i can probably i mean i can't say for certain but yeah i think being an optimist um may lead you know in my small sample does seem to be more common really than a pessimist Oh, interesting i wasn't expecting you to say that i thought it'd yeah. be the other way around well I, th I think i think it's more i'm specifically talking about the tech industry here as well okay and i think the tech industry is so like it's rapidly changing i think more than most industries that um the the, the dilemma for me has always been that i'm somebody who loves the fast pace and loves like the idea of innovation and doing those things but yeah i also want a degree of well-being as well and I yeah. think for people like me who have that level of awareness and empathy and emotional intelligence, the problem is, is that I think, you know, people who, who are not so bothered by those things, they're able just to keep going, keep going. Whereas I'm not saying it's EQ is definitely correlated with positivity, but you know, I'm someone who loves to go into the countryside and like, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if I can't do those things, it starts affecting me. So I think it's, yeah, it's definitely like people who are positive may, whilst they might have the resilience and the skills to sort of, um, you know, get through this at times, I think also um, they may have it's higher. It's more of a shock, right? Because they're not expecting yeah. it so as a bigger blow. They may have higher expectations as well um, yeah. of what the workplace should be like. And I think that can be a bit of a gap. Is it is it something you see in a certain age group of workers so i'm specifically seeing it in the sort of like late 20s to mid really to early 40s that's where i'm really seeing it that that okay. age range and that that's why earlier i talked about this 30 year old crisis this sort of like the midlife crisis has come a bit you know quarter life well midlife crisis has sort of moved its way up a little bit yeah um yeah that's a really that's a really the age group i see it in the most Okay. One last thought I had on it, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, but, and I might be an idiot for asking this question, but is there a correlation between depression and burnout? Um, not, I, I, as I'm not a doctor, I, I can't, and I've not researched that specifically. Um, well, maybe not, sorry, maybe correlation is the wrong word, but are, are there sort of parallels or similarities? Is it the same thing? Is it not? Um, I don't think it is, no, no, because I think... Um, I think, I mean, I've, I've experienced depression myself as well. And I wouldn't say it was the same as when I was burnt out. Burnt out okay. was more about like the complete fatigue. And it wasn't as if I was feeling like the lowness of depression, but it was as if I, my head 
was moving at 100 miles an hour and my body was moving at three miles an hour. Okay. And the the gap between that was so frustrating, basically, because, yeah, yeah as you can imagine. So I probably say there is a bit, there is a difference there. Okay, fair enough. Is it is it only ever work-related? Like, do people only burn out in jobs? Um, I think, I, I can't say for certain, but I think you probably have, I know people who are like carers, they burn out. They often okay. burn out because of the intense emotional needs that they have to fulfill. But um, I I really am like the tech industry is, is burnout is just rife. Like some of the statistics on burnout is like you know that there was a um, a survey done by Gallup that said that um, at least seventy four percent of the workforce that they interviewed in the tech industry had experienced burnout somewhat in the last year. Wowzers. And I think I think it's like like I said to you, something. How, how does that number compare? Sorry, with other industries, do you know? Um, I, I don't. I, I can't. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I, I, because I was looking at it specifically for tech, but um, but I think you know, Spill the mental health. Um, there's a mental health app called Spill that integrates into Slack. They yeah. also did some research. This was during COVID, so you got to take it with a pinch of salt because obviously yeah. everyone's under a different pressure there. But again, their levels of like, have you experienced burnout were in the 70s and 80s percent. So I was just, so yeah, I think the tech industry, especially. Um, staggering, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Um, and the, the, the thing I saw when I've been at companies, I've always been someone who's very, I always wear my heart on my sleeve. So people have often open up to me a lot quicker than they would other people. Okay. And, you know, I won't say what companies I've been at where it happened, but I'd, I'd be going into meetings where people are taking anti-anxiety pills and, you know, they are all on hosts of sleeping pills and everything just to get through work. And uh, it, sometimes it's the silent, it's like we, we go to work and we think everyone's okay because everyone yeah. says they're okay. But it's been, if you look a little bit beneath the surface, you know, you can really see the cracks. So yeah, I, th- I think we're in a really, really um, interesting time at the moment. And like, why has this suddenly become such an issue? Okay, so what what do you actually do then on a day to day basis? You go into these companies and and do what? So yes, yeah, so there's there's two two things I do. One is I actually teach employees how to two areas. One is focus because okay. focus is linked to burnout. Okay. Um. Uh. You know, I've been someone who in my past career I've um as a product manager i've learned how to build addictive technology so so i understand how that works um and it sounds terrible saying it i wasn't really aware of what i was doing at the time and then i was like oops okay i sort of have built something quite addictive here but um one of the things i do is teach people actually how to focus how to concentrate on output and how to like have boundaries within their work where they can have um flow quote unquote flow within their work because okay. that's going to give you a sense of mastery and that's going to give you a sense of purpose and and accomplishment so focus is one of the main areas like especially now we've got mobile phones and slack and all these different im tools um that's one area so focus is the first area but then the second is around um well-being and balance because what I'm trying to teach people. So I, I'm a certified med, like a mindfulness teacher now. Yeah. Um, and I practice meditation for the last probably seven years. Um, so I use a mixture of mindfulness, which I call everyday 
pragmatic mindfulness. So I'm not talking about like sitting down and cross legged and, you know, and chanting. I'm talking about like, okay, you're at your desk and you get to, you get to your desk in the morning. Let's just do a 60 second check in to like check in with how you are and to sort of just help lower your stress levels. So, so I teach a little bit of mindfulness. Um, I should definitely introduce you to um, Caitlin Rosario. I don't know if you listened to her episode a couple of episodes ago. She, um, she runs a company called Interlude, which builds in breaks to day-to-day working life. Oh, wow. No, so there might be a really good connection between you two there because you could introduce your, like a lot of the stuff, actually, it's totally wrong, I'm not going to speak for her, but some of the stuff they do is like um, exercises at your desk to try and, you know, mm. get things. But I guess it could be something you could introduce something there. I'll introduce you after, definitely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, definitely. And then I think the second part of the well-being one is around balance. Now, this this is like the bit that I suppose is my secret source, really, is that like, you know, I have this idea of a, of a balance wheel and there's okay. loads of different factors that I help employees identify. So it could be things like family, it could be nature, it could be time off, it could be time to yourself, it could be um, using your hands, it could be getting away from devices basically i help people map out a wheel that they can look at to say you know what to what gives me energy basically in my life you know if it's cooking if it's podcasting and then to start saying like you know basically drawing out how often am i actually doing those things what what factors do i need to change because um what underpins burnout is of of, um is a lack of balance as well it's a lack of the ability to recover from Mm -hmm. stress and from intense periods so i'm teaching them not only the mindfulness and the breathing exercises and the movement exercises but also the the sort of overarching philosophical idea of how do i create a life for myself that puts me in a creates an environment where i don't burn out as much it's an interesting turn of phrase environment where i don't burn out so much and forgive me if i've totally got this wrong but a lot of the stuff you've said seems to me like the onus is on the employee to deal with this to say okay is there not an argument that says that these tech companies should be doing more to make environments that aren't um causing this burnout no, and 100% true. And I think this is, it segues nicely into the other part of my work, which is the leadership workshops I run. Okay. Because um, I have been, I don't know how to put it, but I have been under some really intense, toxic environments in my working life in startups. And, yeah. you know, as, as, as amazing as a company Facebook is in terms of like, they do a lot of great stuff inside as company culture. You know, they are they are the new investment banks, really. They are the, you know, in, to quote the the insecure over, just full of insecure overachievers, basically, yeah. who with no middle managers. So, yes, the, the answer in short is, is just as much of a problem for employees as it is for employers. Okay. And it's time that employers start facing up to the fact that they need help fixing something they don't understand. And and the, the last thing I'd say is that on that is that... Um, I can't remember the exact statistic of where where I got it from. I think it might have been a Sanctus report. Um, but um, I think the gap between the expectations, so the gap between the expectations of a leader, so someone in C-suite versus an employee is around like 41%. So what, what I mean by that is, is like, if you ask the employee, 
how happy they think the culture is at work, they'll say X, whereas the um, the <laughs> leaders will say say forty one percent higher. Actually, it's you know, so yeah, it's it's massive. It's a massive um, leadership like structural um, problem as well. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, like going back to Caitlin when I was talking to her and about what she was trying to build. In my mind, all I was thinking to myself is it's a no brainer for these companies to be introducing this because yes, burnout is a problem and I guess she's solving the same she's talking about productivity but it's, it's pretty much the same issue or the same uh it's definitely the same ballpark mm. and I was like well if they if they fixed these things or they made a conscious effort to fix these things then productivity goes to the roof like and yes the employees are more healthy and whatever but it seems like a no-brainer for businesses because with healthy employees you get more revenue and more profit like and that's a cynical way to look at it but it's kind of a win-win for everybody, right? It's, it's absolutely not a cynical way of thinking about it. I think it's the, it's a really healthy way of thinking about it. But I think, again, if you look at a lot of leaders, sometimes it can be quite hard to admit that you have a problem. Well, I guess that goes back to your point about the 41%, right? If they exactly. don't see it as an issue, then, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's, it's like we've used common solutions like take time off or extended you know oh we can you know um you know have a, a bigger holiday etc cetera, etc cetera. these people are applying old solutions to a new problem yeah but the, the actual I'll, I'll give you three fact three sort of key findings that i found there's like three areas that employees now want which is number one they want mental health to be integrated into the experience at work so okay. what i mean by that is mental health is not a perk it's not oh we offer free headspace and free calm memberships yep. it's like leaders and managers saying you know what we've had a like i've had a rough time at the last few weeks um because of this has happened and i'm not expecting them to pour their heart out but to to basically say that i'm human that common humanity phrase you know like we're all in this together that I is just, i was just going to say that sorry to interrupt you but like no. where, where do the is it a case of excuse my french the shit rolls so far downhill that burnouts occurring at the bottom of the ladder and the, and the people the middle management c-suite and the rest of it don't get it so much or because that that's to me like they they should be i i assume everyone suffers from it to a certain degree ergo it should be quite easily identifiable yeah i i think i think maybe where it's like i think leaders do experience burnout but um i think uh, whether it's not their personality types that help them stay in those leadership positions that um, they're a bit more resilient towards it or they're able right, to just okay. be either more resilient or they're able to sort of just be in more denial with it but i think i think it, it is happening at every level of the company especially post-covid Okay. um i've spoken to ceos who've said to me like you know half of my job was basically propping up the mental well-being of the company yeah. because it was just on fire um so yeah like i i can't iterate enough how much um like i said mental health is so if when people could feel like they can open up at work they can tell their managers how they feel and that will be listened to that is just tremendously empowering and like energy giving basically because okay. you feel like actually like this is a place where i belong and and just just to finish on that i've had it at some quite big companies i've been at when i've said to them 
I'm burning out. I'm working six days a week. I need help. Where the response I've had literally was, this is the company you're working at. Like, get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. Which just like, you can imagine what that does to you. That's kind of interesting you say that because I was going to ask like, I mean, mental health is everywhere, right? Everyone's talking about it. Yeah, it still feels a little bit like it's a bandwagon or a buzzword. Like, uh, uh, why are some people still reluctant to, I guess, take it seriously? So my hypothesis around this is that um, we talk about emotional intelligence. Some some people have higher EQ than some other people, yeah. and I think those people who are, are you know do have high levels of EQ. Um, may experience burnout more because they are you know they expect they expect have different expectations to someone who you know doesn't really care about those things and can just work through stuff but but i think the issue there is is that genuinely to some people like they can just do the same they can just keep going to them it's like you know i've worked with people where they will just they will go to work and, and there's nothing wrong with this by the way they'll go to work on a computer and then go home and carry on on a computer and on the weekend they'll they'll be coding new websites on the weekend like their whole life is very very um you know the narrow focus basically and that's what makes them happy but if you're someone who has a more of a a wider sense of like um, balance like you know you want to see your family more you like to go to the countryside you like to yeah. make stuff i think that's where it suffers because that's not very, workplaces aren't very conducive towards that they expect they want like you know to, to quote work hard you know what i mean it's that sort of factory get in there like produce 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 mm. but it's it the problem is that we're thinking about one solution fits all and that's yep. an issue okay i'm 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 going to move on to the next question now purely because i feel like we will talk about this more further down the line because I'm, I'm sure some of the questions are, are relevant to it and it's, it's just it's such an interesting topic that I could probably sit here and talk to you for four hours easily mm. about this and I'm conscious of your time but so you're working very much with mental health now and trying to get people to avoid burnout but when you were a kid what did you want to be um so I think when I was a kid I, I wanted to actually be a pilot um okay I, mean, I think before that, obviously, I was a cl- uh, you know, classic. I wanted to be a footballer, but I think at the age of about sixteen, I realised that I was only ever going to be a Sunday league player <laughs> who's like spends fifty minutes on the bench. Yeah. Um, but um, and I but I actually wanted to be a pilot. I think I when I went to sixth form, I did the subjects that would have helped me become a pilot. Okay. What kind of pilot? Commercial fighter jet? Are you a maverick um, disciple? No, I think it, it it was a commercial for me. It was a commercial jet thing, okay. um, and the reason why actually was because I think as a as a as a child, I'd all been very fortunate that my parents had taken us to some quite far flung places. Like you know, this was when I was ten, yeah. um, so you know, twenty five years ago, like we were going to like Indonesia and places like that. Nice. And I think for me, it was a part of my life that had opened up that i'd just never seen before if that makes sense yeah, yeah. um sorry if i'm answering a question here ahead of it but um i think when i when i'd go to those places it would be like like a completely different world and i really wanted to experience more of that and i think 
maybe you know in hindsight it wasn't the right solution but i thought oh well if i'm if i'm an airline pilot i can go there to go to those places more often so that's a pretty solid logic i guess so you said you you took a levels to kind of push you on that path where where did it or why did it not sort of come to fruition so at the same time as doing that i think i joined the air cadets as well which was like a you know um a sort of raf kids raf basically okay because um, i'd heard that helps you gain become a pilot you know it's good for that oh, so you, um, this is this isn't just some wishy-washy kids fantasy like you you actually took it pretty seriously and planned it out no yeah which i did yeah i had it all like you know how i'd apply when i was 16 like who where i need to apply to you know what work experience i could try and get um obviously not on a plane <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh but one of the ways you could do it is by becoming an air cadet and you could like fly gliders and stuff like that, as well as just like, you know, do the normal RAF stuff. But, but interestingly, you had to get up at six o'clock or five thirty on a Sunday morning to go marching. <laughs> okay. So that didn't last very long. <laughs> not, not because I'm a, not because I'm against getting up early, but basically I just sort of realized that I don't care enough about this. I'm just like, do I really want, do I really care enough to do this? No. So that oh. basically fizzled out by the time I was about 18. <laughs> oh, blimey. Yeah, I can imagine. I was saying that I used to do a paper round when I was that age. So I probably did get up pretty early. Mm. But yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting that you, most of the people I ask that question to never really, a couple of people have gone down that route, but most of them have sort of had this, I guess, I guess fantasy or dream dream like um job but never really actually progressed to doing anything past you know sort of wishing for it right so it's, it's funny that you actually did something about it and actually went down a path even if it was to discover that that path ultimately wasn't for you yeah no i think it's always been part of my nature i think it comes from my parents really which is like well if you want it then go and make it happen sort of thing it's like you know in my head i was like okay you know how do how do you become a pilot and what can i do to try to you know almost get myself get my foot in the door really um yeah. and i think what i've what i've noticed actually reflecting on my early childhood was actually quite a lot of work experience in different industries without knowing it because yeah like so my my dad my uncle used to work with channel four so um he was like a, um, a broadcast engineer okay. so i went I, would, I actually did my like you know whenever when you're like 11 or 12 at school and you yeah. do, everyone's doing their like work experience at like a, a nursery or mcdonald's or something <laughs> i was like yeah i'm going to channel four in london oh, <laughs> and nice. um and um I was, I was in the sort of like you know in the basement with my uncle basically but um it you know after that i remember going to work for an estate agent for a week and then um like i said i did, did a bit of the raf and the cadets and actually i think what what it allowed me to do was to realize what i didn't want to do yeah which is the, perhaps the most important thing 100 um yeah. and, I, and i think in a way it like to sort of talk about after when i was 18 and i realized i didn't want to be a pilot I was a bit like, uh oh, what, what do I do now? <laughs> what do I do now? Um, and I end up going to university, and this sounds even more strange given what I do. But I end up studying construction and and quantity surveying. That's what okay. I did at university because um, I actually thought, you know what? Like, I don't know what I want to do, and I know proper. You know, this is this was back in like the days of uh, 
I don't know, the, the property boom, shall I say. But I was yeah. like, as long as I go into property, I'm, I can always, always support myself. Houses. Exactly. I can yeah. always support myself. Um, but again, I had a, I was fortunate to get onto a, to be sponsored by a construction company. And then I did a year out and very, and realized very quickly, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I want to be counting bricks for a living. No. So it's a bit like, you know, in a way, what was left was what I, what I ended up doing. Yeah, I, I spoke about it on this podcast before, but put it's a lot of pressure on a seventeen, eighteen year old to really pigeonhole their life like that. It really is. I, I think like um I'm not sure if you're I I've always been really pragmatic with the way I learn. I'm not someone who can just sit in front of a book, recite it and it goes in my head. I have to move, I have to touch things, I have to try things. I'm very much learn by doing. And I, I can't like agree with you more. Like the very idea that we say to a 16 year old, who's basically the biggest decision they've made up to that point in their life is what football boots do I buy or something yeah, like yeah. that. Like, what do you want to do for the rest of your career? What are you going to anchor the rest of your education? on? And you're going to spend a fortune on that decision as well, potentially. Exactly. It's a completely broken system. And yeah. not only that, like our whole education system from you know, the a very young age really is all about pigeonholing really, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you're good at maths. Okay. You're good at science. You should go there, there. You're, you're good with your hands. Right. You should go become a plumber. It's mm. not really like dynamic and saying like, okay, how do we create an environment where people can foster their interests and, and cultivate interests and then see where they go basically. Yeah. I had, um, I don't know if you know her, Rosie Sherry on the podcast a couple of weeks ago mm. and, um, she, she's dead against the current education system like it's quite it was really interesting and i've got two young kids so it was really interesting to hear her views and she's she homeschools her children and her thoughts behind it and where she's gone with it you know you find it very hard to to challenge her her logic it really is like oh, okay it's a point where i was like oh speaking to my wife after going you know maybe we should <laughs> review where the girls go to school you know it's yeah it's funny I, I I can like agree with that as well because um I've got I've got um a young my, my son's young but um I'm given the experience I had at school which was that like I come from like a I come from a Indian family where we had a very strong work ethic throughout our family mm. and I applied that to the education system because I thought right okay let's do it like you know I'm happy to work you know keep myself focused and get going but I never got anything out of it really. You know, it was like putting in a hundred percent and constantly getting 20% out. And when it comes to my, my, my kids, I'm asking the question, like, you know, that really almost spent like 10 years of my life undoing all of, all of those actions and all of the things, all the issues of self-confidence that like, you know, how do you build resilient, like healthy children who understand what makes them, what gives them purpose and drive do you know what i mean i'm not not solely talking about happiness i'm talking about like what gives how do you help them find what lights their fire and i'm being very generalistic here but it just seems to me like the education system hasn't really changed that dramatically in 40 50 years right i mean why the education system has brought in sort of like about the the industrial revolution and, and getting people you know into that mindset of working whatever hours and and but the world's changed pretty drastically i mean the world's changed pretty drastically in the last two years never mind the last 20 but it just seems to me and i'm sure there's teachers probably listen to this and go 
you don't know what the bloody hell you're talking about. But it does seem to me that the education system hasn't really progressed that much. I mean, I I think actually, I reckon some teachers, or a lot of teachers will probably agree with you yeah, and maybe. be like, they'll probably actually say like, I've got, we've got so many ideas we want to implement, but the system just doesn't allow for it because of targets and of, you know, the top down approach from the government. But yeah. we are talking a Victorian style system here yeah. that we're applying to our children now. And not only that, like, I, I, I honestly, when we think about like how quickly, if you look at your mobile phone now and you were to look at it 10 years ago, look how quickly and like it's completely changed. Look how much that's impacted society. Now we have remote learning. Now we have the ability to, you know, I can teach myself how to video edit within like two weeks, basically. And mm. why can't kids now go and teach themselves how to learn how to do X or Y? Why do I think, we? I think they do, right? Because they have to. Exactly, and this is what yeah. I mean. Is like, like I think it's a complete. I think my sort of like innovative hat on is that we're gonna. You're gonna see the system completely decouple, and like you know we've talked about homeschooling as well because of that reason because we're like like ultimately what happens now is your kids get told like you know sit down do this do that like this is right this is wrong Mm. and that doesn't help their mental health we're seeing that like really really come through now because again you know we, we talked earlier about like some of the stuff that's happening outside of work whether it be environmental social factors like these kids I've never seen such like activism in young children. Like it fills me with so much optimism and you're telling this child, this child, like sit down there, like recite this thing and then go into a test. Like that's your purpose. They're, they're, they're not going to, they're, they're like boiling cauldrons basically yeah. of like, so I, I can, in my eyes, the system is ripe for innovation and for breaking apart basically. Yeah, I agree. You should you should definitely check out the the episode of Rosie. I think you probably take, how how old's your son? Uh, we're coming up to two, so okay. <laughs> so still quite young. But um, I mean, it is young. I mean, I've, mine's uh, so my youngest is two. She, my oldest is four. But it's just, education. I didn't care. Like you know, I'd left education twenty thirty years ago. Like the state of it didn't really bother me. But then when you have kids, all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, now I'm gonna start thinking about this because it doesn't quite add up but I, i'm with you i think that i think it's ripe for um someone coming in and changing how it mm. works and total disruption but we shall see yeah um go on i was gonna say i think um the thing that strikes me the most and is around like we only think of school and education as academic yeah but we don't think of the other side of it which is the you know, the life skills, the emotions, the how to deal with yourself. And if you look at human beings now in the workplace, most people are struggling because the majority of us have not really had the education or the awareness around like how to deal with certain things or, you know, even the simple emotional intelligence is just not really that common. And in in my eyes, I think it's like the the thing that's going to revolutionize education as well is is the idea of people being self-confident and finding what they want to do that that has such an impact on your life if you can if you can strike someone's match in that sense i think it will change everything so it could almost be fair to say that if they sorted this out from a young age and an education took this on board you'd almost be out of a business right because that's where that's the root of it i assume 
Well, yeah, and agreed. And and I would love to be in a position where I was out out of work, really, because then I'd be like, I'd be like, this is you know really positive, and yeah, but but it's far from that at the moment. No, no, I know. Um, tell me something about you that not many people know. Um, so I, when I dropped out, I dropped out of university, did construction, did a year in London, where I basically okay. um, realized I'm not don't want to do this uh, anymore. Um, I dropped out of uni and then I had two options. One was to start a startup because that's what I've, you know, I found this real love for tech. Okay. But the other thing was, and not many people know this, was that I was actually contemplating move, moving completely off the grid and going to live in a forest somewhere alone for a few months, basically, to be self-sufficient. I wanted to, you know, learn the the laws of nature, basically, because, um, yeah, I've always been very much... Uh, inspired by people like like uh, philosophers like Thoreau and Emerson who've done something similar and my what I really wanted to do was to basically go somewhere and just yeah completely live off the grid did you how and how far did you sort of go down that idea not very far um <laughs> I think um this like I said at the same time I was um doing the startup thing and I think the m- momentum was picking up quite quickly on that okay. and it was, you know, it was very, that gave me a lot of, um, pleasure and contentment as well. But, uh, I think what I would do instead was like on weekends and stuff like that, I'd just go off into a forest somewhere and like try and do some foraging and try and build a shelter and do things like that. So it was a way to keep me balanced really. Do you think if you, let's assume you'd gone and done six months living off the grid, do you think that then what you're doing now or what happened to you would have still happened do you think would have had, i'm trying to work out what kind of impact that might have had on you as a person um probably not to be honest because um in a way i would have come to some realizations a bit earlier on okay yeah yeah i, you, I, I sometimes think about that i think I, I watch this on youtube this guy called liam brown i don't know if you've ever heard of him no but he, I love YouTube because I just love the amount of content that's out there that some people look at and go, how on earth has that got half a million views? It just makes no sense. But anyway, this guy, Liam Brown, is is probably a lot of people would categorize him as that. He just walks around the country. He does like, and he does wild camping. And I just sometimes watch that and I think, don't get me wrong, I love my luxuries as much as the next person, but I sometimes watch this guy and think, oh, do you know what? If it all just went wrong tomorrow, I think I'd do that. I'd just walk around the country in the tent. <laughs> just, it looks so, I'll, I'll send you some links after. It's, um, yeah. Lots, lots to be said for that whole kind of getting away from everything. Like, um, philosophy, I've always been someone who's been very philosophical, like it's just something innate in me. And, um, that's why I go to the countryside. That's why I like to have solitude in nature because like, you know, for me it is a, like, I, I'm not religious, but I do feel very like when I'm there, I just feel it just soothes me in a yeah. way that I don't feel like anything else can. And like, it's not absurd to think that like, you know, how much mod, you know, we're like a hundred years or 150 years of modern life. Like before that we used to live in off the land. We would, you know, I could literally talk to you for another five hours about this, so I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> but, but like, 
if you look at native cultures like the aboriginals yeah. native americans first nations in america like some of their things their practices are so incredible and soul enriching and you know purposeful that the irony is is that modern culture has basically obliterated those cultures yeah. but we need some of the stuff that they've they 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 teach well that's what i was gonna say we spend fortunes researching ways to try and bring this stuff back to ourselves right massively yeah. and um you know like i said i've always this you know there's a big thing about psychedelics at the moment and yeah. you know you look at most cultures who are native they have some element of being able to talk to their ancestors to connect to their ancestors usually through a, a psychedelic and it's not like they're you know in a party like popping pills it's more like they are in a special area where they're gonna you know try to talk to people and just see what's you know it's a different degree of life basically mm. and the like i said the irony is is like now there's this big psychedelic boom and and you're just like well hold on we need to be a little sometimes we need to look back a little bit and say like you know the, these these people can teach us a lot more than we think they can yeah people are too distracted by the potential profits and revenue though aren't they <laughs> <laughs> no totally I, yeah exactly and, I, this is, I mean it's interesting the whole nature thing i find really interesting like because i like you I, I love i don't do it anywhere near as much as i should but sort of just going away and even if it's like leaving my phone in the car or and then it goes like one step further you think about i don't live in a big city anymore but i do live in a town and you think about like there's just electricity everywhere <clears throat> there's lights everywhere there's broadband signals everywhere like and this isn't me getting all woo-wah on what that may or may not do. I, don't, I've, I have no idea. But I feel like it has an impact somehow. So, mm -hmm. and then, you know, and you get to, you do go to, for a walk around, like, you know, we've got some lovely walks around here. And you get to the top of a hill and you can see the whole of the Cotswolds or whatever. And you just feel a little bit, I don't know, a little bit straighter, a little bit better. I don't know, it's, 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 it's such a bit of a, a bit of a simple life hack isn't it yeah and like that that's it it's like people overlook the simple things yeah. like you know if if to boost mental health it's like being closer to family and friends and spending more time in nature like if you and exercising like those three things you know if you do those three things as yeah. well as like thinking about other things like you're actually going to see a massive increase but if you look at most city people like you know the intensity of their jobs means they they might see their friends and family here and there etc but everyone's working all the time you're living in shoe boxes there's yeah. noise noise pollution everywhere and like i said to you the more and more the more and more aware of it you become you don't notice like when you do step off a train somewhere and it's a bit more of a town or a little yeah. suburb even suburbs they're quiet and that yeah. quietness just like literally says to your your immune system like okay rest do you know yeah. what I mean? It's sort of like, oh, like, and I, yeah. Okay, it's interesting you say that because you just made me think of something. So what's your views on working from home and an office working and remote working? Because something you just said then made me think of it. Like I currently work from home. You know, I have my own businesses. I work from here. I sort of, sometimes I stumble out of bed and I'll sit here in my, my pajamas or whatever. And then, or, you know, most days I'll take my daughter to school or whatever, but something you just said then about suburbs and, and switching off. Like I used to have a very defined, you know, I used to work in London, so I'd get the train in, I'd read, I'd do my podcasts, whatever, I'd get into the office, work, and then, you know, train home. And it was almost like this 
bookended day. It's like, this is work, this isn't work. And I'm kind of curious on your views on the impact of remote working, right? Because there are definite pros and cons to it. And all we hear about really are the pros for employees. Um, Why it's a good thing. Is there any crossover, correlation, causation issues with sort of burnout and working from home? Does it have work? Is it a positive thing, negative thing? Um, it's a great question. And um, the answer is there is definitely um, issues with, let's call it flexible working as in okay. general, because I think we all assume, like you said, oh, if you can work from home, great, like thumbs up, everyone wants that. But it's so much more nuanced than that because yep. we, let, let's take the um, employee and leadership position again. Leadership teams need to... <clears throat> accept that they need to build cultures that enable flexible working so what i mean by that is not only just the actual physical like laptops and desks but also like you know check-ins and like um virtual um lunches together team lunches like uh, brown bags like you have to set those things up the cult yeah. those things are not done by most companies and um when i was working at whereby the norwegian company they did that really well like we the way we were all fully remote but um you know i never i actually never felt like i was properly remote working because we had so many cool cultural things we were doing at work okay. um so yeah so Firstly, it's a leadership need to like actually do some things to enable healthier working from home. But for employees as well, you have to you, you do have to look at your life and say, hold on, I need to have boundaries here. Like I can't work. Ideally, I know I can say this because I live in a house, very fortunate yeah. to, but I can't work in my bedroom like all the time. Like, like going from bed to work, it's over time that you are blurring the lines. It's, you know, how do you separate it? Um, and the truth is, is like, this is another thing I do teach employees is like how to, you know, for me personally, I tend to go to the library a couple of times a week. It might not be for the full day, but by going to the library, it's almost like I, I see people. I like, um, it's a working environment where I feel quite studious and it, you know, it gets me out of the house, yep. um, as well as exercise, like how to build exercise in regularly. So it's far too simplistic to just think work from home, like put your laptop in at home, charge it. Great. Like thumbs up. It's like, you have to build your life in a way that makes working from home healthy. Yeah. We don't live in a very nuanced world, do we? No, no, no one likes to be nuanced. Everyone just likes to jump on the soapbox and go, yeah, polar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great, great insights. I think it's, yeah, I find it strange that more people don't see it like that, but yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things I'm going to produce some content for soon about how to work from home properly and how to, how to like, you know, all the things, the factors to think about, because I think it, it is like, it does contribute to burnout and also to feeling quite alone as well, which is sad, yeah. really. Do you know what I mean? 100% I do. I do. Um, tell me what has been one of the most pivotal moments in your life. Um, I think the most pivotal moment in my life really was um i moved from an area so i'm from birmingham originally okay. and i moved from a very multicultural area and moved to an area where it was um very homogenous uh so basically white middle class area that i moved to and before i moved to that area i was never really aware of the color of my skin 
Um, but at the age of about nine or 10, I got, it was very quick. <laughs> Let's just say I had a very quick, uh, lesson in how some people thought, uh, think of me and okay. I've experienced racism probably on a weekly basis for a couple of years. Um, everywhere I went, like at school and parks in, on the street, in supermarkets. This is Fo- still in and around Birmingham, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Football training, like when I play tennis, like every, it'd just be odd comments or people, you know, saying things. Um, and I think it, that completely changed my life because I went from being this sort of like happy go lucky child who, you know, thought the world is, you know, literally my friends went where in my old area were black, white, and Asian. They were my best friends. And it sounds silly, but literally the three best friends were black, white, and Asian um, to basically being, yeah picked on quite a lot and the worst thing was it wasn't really children that often it was mostly adults kids like you know I'm talking like people driving next to me when I'm walking home from school and just shouting expletives at me and etc so yeah I, I went from feeling very very like you know I suppose secure in my life to feeling quite like anxious really very quickly because of the, what was what I was experiencing and how did that kind of what did that lead to what did that how did that manifest itself so i think i think i really didn't i didn't see the effects of it until much later on in my life okay um that's not to say i mean i had automatically changed so at the point of that happening to me i think i was still like you know i was still super happy like super positive and etc etc but i was always I'm always on the sort of edge of anxiety and what I mean by that was like I would worry about things a little bit more and I'd be on edge when other people wouldn't be on edge because deep down if you think about it my physiological system and my mental system are being attacked and I've not did, actually dealing with that did, did you ever feel like physical worry as opposed to verbal did it ever go further than verbal um fortunately i mean i got pushed over a few times so like there were there were groups of boys at school who would basically wait for me and as soon as they saw me would wait till other people would turn the corner and then end up just like pushing me over and like chucking me over a fence and stuff like that um so yeah it, it, it was i didn't get like beaten up quote unquote but i didn't mm. get you know it, it was a lot of it, it was physical bullying as well um yeah, so which is not great for an eleven-year-old kid. No, it's horrendous, absolutely horrendous. I'm curious if you have seen a change, and whether you think your son will see the same kind of behaviours. I think I've, there's a massive change. Like I, I'm super positive about the world. I know you know you can turn the news on and then it, you can think otherwise, but I don't really watch the news for that reason. Um, but I, I'm super positive. Like I think things have changed so like the. I went to London when I was about 20. And when I came back when I was about in my early thirties, mm. I couldn't believe how things had changed. I was like, I went and moved back to the same area. And I was like, what has happened here? Like, this is like a really like incredible environment now where people are all mixing. And there's just this, like, I was like, what's happened? I couldn't believe it. So I'm in, I'm massively optimistic about the way the world's going. I know it sounds like there's a lot of fires going on and there is, but yeah. I think in general, people are so much more open and accepting. And, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from, you know, a, you know, old colonialism and empire, you know, attitudes to people of color. Like this is the, the saddest thing is, is that a lot of time people don't hate you. They just reinforce what they've been told. Yeah. 
No, that's, that's, that's very true. I mean, I, it's a massive positive that you answered that in the way you answered it because, I mean, it'd be totally shit, wouldn't it, if your son would grow up and experience the same thing? Matt, yeah, um, yeah, entirely. It'd be horrible. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really optimistic he won't. Excellent. Um, tell me some of the most valuable lessons you've learned in your life. Um, the most valuable lessons. I'm just gonna. I, I did write this one down. I'm just gonna just just check it again if that's all right. Yeah, of course. Um, I think the perhaps the biggest lesson I've learned really is I'll say the two things. One is around authenticity. Okay. So the more you try to be someone different to who you truly are, the more you're going to create stress. The more you're going to end up causing yourself mental health issues, and the more you can actually accept who you are, which is a really hard thing to do in our society. Let me ask you a question about that because I agree with that first, just just for the record. But you're not the first person I've heard say that or in in, in some degree, one degree or another. Is it right then that people weren't always authentic? Or do you think authentic, like, I'm trying to what I'm trying to work out in my head is why authenticity is suddenly such a for lack of a better term a buzzword or why people go down that route because it kind of implies to me that people weren't authentic previously does that make sense no yeah totally so here's some theories I think number one again if you look back to our industrial revolution and the way that we um you know built the economy people did very specific jobs didn't they like you were a metal worker you yeah. are a bus driver and in a way again we talk about nuanced like jobs weren't very nuanced then they weren't sort of content strategists and and growth marketers it's like yeah you do very like in the pigeonholing again so this patch on this bit of material exactly yeah. so in a way you don't have much expression and as we've as we've expanded and as the tech world's come in and as the internet has broken barriers down we're starting to see that actually the awareness that I could be some something different that actually maybe I'm not what I think I am. And in terms of, you know, this is where, who I thought I've always been. So awareness is massive here. Like the internet has opened your eyes to think, Oh, actually people can do that thing. And it's okay to be like that. Well, maybe I felt like that all the time, but I thought I was weird or I thought I was, you know, something wrong with me. So it's a mixture of both structural and sort of philosophical reasons, really. Fair enough. Good answer. Um, but um, I think I think the the authentic going back to it because I know what you mean. Authenticity is a, is a complete buzzword. But I suppose what I'd say is, if I if I was to put it into like layman's terms, is the more you try to like act in in um, objection to who you truly are, the more you're trying, and the more you do that, the more you're going to burn out. Well, it's like they say, isn't it? You can be whoever you want to be on the internet, can't you? And like, mm. you know, you can curate your social posts to show a version of yourself. And I suppose if that version of yourself is not true, then it's just constantly, I guess, trying to live your life in, in that sense, isn't it? And then that's hard work. Massively. It's hard work. And it's like, again, we talk about energy, the draining, it just drains it out of you. Um, 
And I think when we know I talk about the panic attack I had at Facebook, yeah. I was actually in a machine learning team and I'm not someone who is like, I'm, I'm a more of a, um, I'd say design led product manager. Like I like looking at user experiences and at Facebook, I got put into a machine learning team, okay. which is like hyper, hyper technical. And I got asked to do a presentation on it in front of like, I don't know, 10 or 15 PhDs from Harvard, Oxford and all that stuff. And I remember like, talk about imposter syndrome. Like yeah, I was just that. like, I was like, literally, what do I say to these people? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally have nothing to say that I think they're going to be interested in in that sense to do machine learning. So yeah, I think that that's the first thing. And then I'd say the second thing is like learning to trust your intuition. Again, tremendously simple statement, but most people I don't think really understand the signals that their intuition give them. And do you remember earlier I was talking about things like your digestion, your sleep, your, mm -hmm. the gut feeling, like I've got a very highly tuned intuition because of just things I've, I've always asked myself the question, like, you know, before I sort of go down the normal path of getting help, it's like, is there anything in my life I can think about that I'm doing that could be contributing to this? Yeah. And I think the more you do that, the more you learn about yourself, the more you get to sort of, you know, again, that plugs back into the authenticity bit. I spoke to someone on the podcast yesterday who said exactly the same thing about uh, gut instinct. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a very underrated tool in one's arsenal, I think. Yeah. And, and I think, again, it's like the education around it is so minimal, really. We don't know much about it. Whereas now there are books about gut health and, and how the gut um, impacts your brain. Yeah. There's um, there's books like um, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't know if you heard of that book about how trauma um, and not, I'm not just talking about the most intense forms of trauma here. I'm talking about, you know, trauma in day to day life, how that can actually change your physiology, physiology, your um, physiology and the way you react to things there's there's so much more education now around yeah. health being this holistic thing mind and body this somatic thing rather than just being like oh i'm i'm anxious take a pill which i'm not I'm not saying anything wrong with that but you know you have to start thinking a little bit out of the box and saying you know what else could have be happening here mm. no i agree with that i guess my, my caveat to that and i think about this a lot is there is so much information out there and I love, I, you know, I, I love sort of going deep on topics and, and the rest of it. I just, I, I wonder how it's tough to not know what you don't know or, you know, how to know to look into a certain direction or, and I don't know what the answer to that solution, that's that problem is, but I feel like it's an issue. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a silly issue, but it is an issue. Because on one hand, we've got so much information at our fingertips but that information is only there if you know where to look or why to look or, you know. But in a way, that's where the intuition comes in quite nicely because True. I, I go to a bookshop and I'll just be scanning books and something will just stick out for me where I'll be like, and I'll read a few pages and be like, whoa, this is game changing. That's literally happened to me in a book that I picked up where I opened it and I was just like, this is exactly like this, this, something's going on inside me. I need to get this, like this book is going to help me. I can feel it. And your subconscious picked it out. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, yeah. You know what I mean? It's sort of as if as if it was meant to be in that sense. But um, I do think there is tremendous amounts of information out there and yeah. tremendous amount of um, conjecture as well, I suppose. But um, at the end of the day, uh, 
you know, I, I just tend to try and read some books as well. I think that often reading books is a really great way of, you know, signposting you to, to other ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And they tend to be yeah. pretty well, well researched. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk about superpowers now. I believe that everyone has got at least one. What would you say is yours? I'd say my my superpower is the ability to simplify things. Okay. Um, I'm someone who I think, you know, I had people in my workplace when I was at Facebook who went to Eton as well as, well as I used at the same time doing volunteering for drug addicts. And I think I was able to flex myself to adapt to both types of personalities. And what I mean by that is, is like, I think I keep my, keep things very simple and yep. I don't try to overcomplicate and I'm not trying to like, well, at least I like to think I'm not trying to sort of constantly show I'm something, if you know what I mean, and, and use bigger words than I know, et cetera. So for me, sim- the ability to simplify is what helps me to connect to people. It's what helps people be like, that's really damn simple. And thank you for like making it like that. <laughs> I love that superpower. I, I'm like you, I, 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 try to keep things simple as well and i feel like people overcomplicate things to try it's almost like a, a flex right to try and show that i don't know maybe their vocabulary is broader or their education's better or the knowledge or whatever it goes back to the academic thing isn't it Do you remember yeah. i don't even remember at school but like you know i thought i was i wasn't very smart because i didn't get like the top top grades and i think as soon as you see someone who is like you know hitting those grades and they you know, they, they talk in a certain way. It's like, wow, they must be this, like they're superstars and I'm not. And in a way it's like, if you do think about some of the people that have most impacted your life, they probably have done it in the most simplistic way. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just treat you kindly and, and said something to you that just made sense. Do you know what I mean? And I think we, we like, you put it perfectly when you said that, which is like, we see complexity sometimes as a sign of intelligence. Yeah. And actually you think about Einstein right you know absolute academic scientific genius some of his his philosophy is 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 incredible and so simple okay and you would never think that einstein was a big philosopher like read the quotes that he writes they're amazing when he talks about compassion and the way simplicity in the world like he this is somebody who's able to flex you know i, I just think he's a, he's an absolute genius because he's able to both be that and the other thing I guess, yeah, but overcomplication also lead to burnout ultimately, right? Because it comes back to what you're saying about not being yourself. And and if you are trying to overcomplicate things or you do tend to overcomplicate things, then I guess by its very essence, you're making things harder or... Maybe I'd say actually it's rather than overcomplication, it's, it's going back to that thing about trying too hard. Yeah. I think okay. when you try too hard, what I mean by that is, is that, you know, you doing what you're doing now, I'm sure it gives you energy and you're enjoying it. And there's a, there's a degree of flow to it. Like, you know, you're not sitting there like thinking of everything all the time. Whereas what causes burnout is if you're doing something where you are constantly like having to think all the time and there's no degree of like natural ability really that, that, mm. that I think is a real issue and natural energy as well. Cause like I said, you can have the ability, but if you don't have a, a thirst for it, 
then it, that can lead to burnout as well. So yeah, it's more about the, the energy you have for things. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting way to look at it. This is that's, that's the same way, similar way of saying purpose, right? It's like purpose comes from energy, and energy comes from purpose. And if one of those is lacking, then there's, there's a problem. Ent- entirely, yeah. I think yeah. I think your purpose, you know, ultimately gives you energy. Um. I don't know if we're going to talk about it, but so I'll ask now anyway about, you've mentioned your startup a few times. What was that? Um, So I started a company called, um, first it was first called Kojan because it was a six letter domain name. It was nothing, there was no real reason behind the name. I just found a six letter domain name. I was like, right, I love that. (laughs) Um, And actually what it was, is I was walking down Brick Lane and I noticed all the cool independent shops there. And I was like, why, why are they not online? Like, why can't I go to these shops online? So I I created an e-commerce platform for independent boutiques um, to have their website, to have their own products on their website, basically on the platform and for people to buy those products. Kind of like Shopify, that sort of? Like Shopify, but Shopify is obviously... um, doesn't have the marketplace element to it but what i was doing was a curated sort of set of shops that were like boutique and allowed people those shops to um to sell within a marketplace what what happened to it um a multitude of things i think (laughs) so firstly i we ran out of cash because people who um own these boutiques don't want their products shot on a 10 year old well now sorry an old school phone etc yeah. etc they wanted like higher quality photo shoots etc yeah. um so that that didn't scale secondly was that product market fit i didn't really i don't think i really understood product market fit at the time um i was we had a good product but i think i was trying to be um too broad i should have just been like actually let's just focus on a few verticals within these boutiques like vintage clothes or within footwear or something yeah and in the end we just we were just too blurred basically no one really knew what we stood for um and and ultimately i think it was like i was 21 and it was like i had no experience of building a startup and i think there was just pure inexperience that caused you know that helped, that helped it fail but it was a wonderful experience yeah i mean i guess you take a lot of lessons away from doing that don't you I honestly, at the time, I had books of lessons. I'd literally be getting home and I'd be writing this, that, and the other. It was like, you know, I talked earlier about when I was going to move to the move off grid. Yeah. One of the reasons that actually I realized it was the right decision to do what I did was because I was transforming like my philosophical, you know, the mental, my mental health was um like but i was buzzing i was learning so much about who i was and i was just going through this complete discovery of who i was basically in a way that i'd never experienced in my life i was like whoa you know like yeah i can't really describe it further to that but it's just like i knew that all the lessons i was learning about myself were pointing me that i was doing the right thing cool cool um tell me a topic that is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox so i think we did sort of talk about it a little bit um earlier but um when i was when i was talking about the indigenous cultures and about so what i want to talk about is how 
we have what I call now like mass materialism. So like, you know, I think, I, I think capitalism serves as well. I'm not arguing against capitalism, but I do think we are becoming less and less connected to who we are as human beings and to the, and to our sort of natural a natural spirit, should we call it okay. and more and more material, which I think is contributing to some of our mental health problems. So what I'll be talking about is how, you know, we need to look, look at the way we're living, look at our society and ask like, how can we, you know, how can we bring in balance and how can we bring in more connection to like the simple things in life, like nature and family and friends that actually will bring us more contentment and happiness rather than just constantly trying to. Are we, are we trying to keep up with everyone else we see on social media? And we, we do that. We do that blindly. Like we, you just do it because everyone else does it. That's what humans do, right? It's called this, this term ecology. It's what happens in your ecology. Okay. And um, in my eyes, I'm like, because I question everything because I've been doing that since I was a very young kid. Like when I was going through that racism stuff, I was constantly saying, why are people treating me like this? I don't understand. Yeah. Like I've not done anything wrong. Why are people treating me like this? I think I've always had this very philosophical edge to me where I'm like, you know, I, I love my luxuries at home. Do you know what I mean? Like I love having a car and a warm house and, you know, uh, technology to be able to do stuff like this. But I also realized there are other elements of me as a human that most of us don't um, really explore. And in, in the absence of that, we buy stuff, but that yeah. buying stuff never truly makes us feel content. And I want to help people start to unlock the, you know, the questions inside themselves to say like, you know, go and go and search for what makes you feel truly content. Go and try and work on that because at the end of the day, people want to ask themselves that question. No, I think that they tremendously, um, I don't think they're aware of it. I think most people are on this train where they're just like, you know, next thing, next promotion. And I was on that train. So, you know, I'm talking from experience here, like, like on the train of buy this, you know, get a house, get an extension, buy a classic car you know i bought a classic car about six years ago (laughs) (laughs) but um i think a lot of people and we talk about burnout and we talk about purpose Mm. now this is linking back to it again which is that actually people are it goes back to that midlife or quarter life crisis whatever you want to call it where you're like hold on everything that materialism told me was going to make me feel content i'm not quite sure if i do feel truly content and that's the the realization I hope people will get to, but to answer your question long way around. Um, no, I just think there's a complete unawareness of it. Um, and therefore people are quite happy just to keep on this moment, this hamster wheel of momentum, basically. Yeah. It's, it's hamster wheel is a good analogy, isn't it? Because I always, I mean, when I was younger, I used to work in finance and I used to earn pretty good money. I used to earn very good money for, for my age at the time. And I always remember someone saying to me, it doesn't matter how much money you earn because you will still spend it, right? If you're on 20 grand a year, you might buy a Fiesta. If you're on 30 grand a year, you might buy, I don't know, a, I don't even know what cars are these days. Like, but a Volvo. A Volvo, but then, you know, you might be on 150 grand a year and you'll buy a Ferrari, Porsche. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you're on a million Lamborghini. Like, it, it just doesn't matter. And but we're in this thing, and I, I'm as guilty as it, as probably the next person but i try the reason i asked do you think people know about it is because i am quite aware of it and i don't know how i've become aware or how i've thought about it but 
Like I used to love designer clothes. Used to love it. You like you look at my wardrobe now. There's probably, I don't know, none. A couple, a couple of items. For instance, like the other day, I bought six black t-shirts from just a normal like um, thing online. No labels, no nothing, because I just didn't. I just don't care about that stuff anymore. And I felt myself being pulled into this thing where, you know, you get a job and you earn a little bit more money. It's like, oh right, I can buy these these clothes now. Same with the cars and and the reason I asked do people know about it because I like I said I, I suddenly became aware of this thing, but I don't think many people do, and that's not to say I'm better or anything than anyone else like that's totally not it, but I think people live in this state of ignorant bliss, maybe that they just oh you know so and so on Facebook's got a new stone island jumper. I want to get a stone island jumper or car or you know like you said the houses or whatever and it's and I guess it's it's probably me on my high horse I've worked in marketing for a long time so I've been almost pushing people into this thing like you said about the addictive technologies it's quite it's a really interesting topic because it comes back to people want us to be going down this route right because if we're thinking about that then we're not thinking about other stuff and that's a bit deep I guess but yeah it's, I wouldn't say it's deep at all and in a positive way. I think it's like, I remember my therapist saying to me, it's as if you've reached the top of your mountain, your, your perceived mountain, mm. and then you what you what you thought was going to be there is not there. And I think maybe that's what you, you, to some extent, maybe experienced as well when you were in finance, was that you had all that money, but really, like you said, you're just scaling all the time, aren't you? Yeah. It's, everything's just a scale, like, a you know, mm. as if you're pressing command plus on your computer it's just like right you know you just buy more or buy a better brand whatever but i think they always they always say like once you can you know you have enough income to be able to have a holiday and to be able to like it's like 70k or something isn't it they reckon that yeah the the, anything over that doesn't make you any any happier or exactly yeah and i've heard it even lower in some other maybe some other industries and areas but it's so true like i know some really like i've met some really wealthy people and i'm like you've just got the same problems as everyone else has got <laughs> do you know what i mean and like probably even worse because you've got this expect you've probably got an expectation that life's going to be good and yeah. then it's when it's not and that's like but that i think you maybe where you and i have experienced it is because we got to a point where where we thought something would happen or we'd expected it to happen yeah. you sort of realize well actually Mm, it's not whereas most people are still on this journey up the mountain should we say do you know what i mean they're yeah. still like fighting they're still you know i need to get that promotion or i need to get this sort of salary so they're yet to hit it but i think when you do yeah a lot of people hit that point i think they sort of realize like oh this is yeah there's an <laughs> issue here there is um i'm going to go on to the next question and i i I'm kind of curious what your answer can be because i really, you might have a few, but tell me some of the best pieces of advice you've ever heard. Yeah, I'm just going to jump in. Um, so this is a really interesting one. And uh, I say, like, to quote Ronan Keating, and this is, I'm not talking about Ronan Keating giving me advice here, but you say it best when you say nothing at all. Okay. And, and I think the best advice I've actually had, I remember when I dropped out of university, and my dad, my dad and my parents are both like, you know, like I said to you before, very hardworking and my dad's yeah. always been in education and my mum's always been in law. And um, 
I had to go home and basically tell my parents that I'm giving up on a sponsorship that's given me an automatic job after university of a salary that I couldn't have, you know, even thought about a few years ago. And I'm basically going to dump it all down. But this is the interesting thing is that I remember very vividly that when I, I almost did a presentation to my parents um, about <laughs> everything I'd done. I was like, look, these are all the people I've spoken to. This is how I did it, whatever, whatever. Because I was just absolutely bricking it basically that I was going to, it was going to go bad. And um, actually the best advice is that my dad just almost, he just said to me like, okay, you know, that, I get it. That's all he said to me. Like, you understand rather than like being like, Oh, how are you going to do this? How's this going to work? Whatever, whatever. He just, he just didn't say anything. And he just he said a very few words, but those words are, were enough to, for me to know that he was happy. Like, you know, he was content, shall I say? Yeah. But though that was so enabling for me because it, it made me feel like, right, I've got his trust now and I can like, I can go and make this happen. Prior, prior to you telling him that, what would, on a, what would be the likelihood in percentage terms of you thinking that would be his response? Oh, like 10, 5%. Because, <laughs> um, you know, like I said, it's just that, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have parents who have always supported me academically and throughout my whole life. My parents have supported me through everything. So yeah. the last thing they want to do is you throw away what is like, you know, bear in mind, like my grandfather came to the country in the 60s or 50s, like to throw away a, a like a white collar job to yeah. go and do something unknown. Like it's just ludicrous. Like, why would you do that? Especially, you know, to that generation who had to, you know, work them way up, way up in that sense. So yeah, for my dad to do that, I actually remember saying to my dad like a few months ago, a year ago, saying to my dad on the, on the, we're in the garden, just saying to him like, did you remember it? Um, I think to be honest, I think he still, he does it. He does it quite often now. Like I think ever since then, I'm not sure if he does remember that exact moment, but ever since then he doesn't like, there's no micromanagement whatsoever. If there's support, he will say to me like... Well, let me uh, rephrase the question then. Did, yeah. Is he aware of what he did? And I don't mean that like, like I'm not calling your dad an idiot or anything, no. but is he aware like that was the, the approach he took? Um, I think he is now. He may not have... A th I think he must have because it must have taken him so... Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly. I don't, I don't know. I haven't had that chat with him, but it must have taken quite a lot for him not to sort of be like, like, ah, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, you've got kids, right? Like, he's in like, you know, you know, like if, if a, it's, it's a sort of U-turn on something, you probably think you probably have this, like, we all probably have this idea of our kids doing X and Y, not job, but just doing some the way they are. And if that changes, we're all, you know, it does, we like as human beings, we like reliability, don't we? We like mm. certainty. This like all oh, the the illusion of certainty, shall I say? But yeah, yeah, I think uh, that was the best advice, really. That's good advice, and I guess it's something you'll, when your kid or kids come to you in the future, you, it's something you. It's a good thing to lean on, isn't it? Yeah, I'll probably be like, yeah, you need to do this. <laughs> 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 um, no, no, no. I I agree. I think. Uh, Trust the trust the person, the person. You know, the, the, I think people, humans are really good at being resilient when they have backing. Um, yeah, it doesn't mean that journey is going to be linear. I think that's what you have to remember. It's not going to be a linear journey. It's not like a, you know, a constant salary as you'd make take that leap of faith. Yeah. But I think humans are incredibly good when they feel autonomy. Yeah, I agree. Um, when you think about the future. 
what do you see? So I think when I go to Birmingham town sometimes, I walk past uh, certain areas and I think I, I sort of touched on this before. Are you back living in Birmingham now? Yeah, I'm back in the Midlands, yeah. yeah. Um, and whereabouts are you? Because if you're near the Cots, you can see the Cotswolds. Yeah, Gloucestershire. Okay, Gloucester. so you're not, you're not, yeah. not far not away. Not far then. from you. No, my father-in-law lives in Cheltenham, actually. Um, okay. But um, in church oh, down. Next, next, oh, church down, yes. I know church down well. My, yeah. I was there last week. Well, next time you're down, let me know. We'll go for coffee. Yeah, exactly, 100%. Um. But uh, yeah, I was walking around Birmingham town and I just saw these like 15 year olds or 14 year olds just take out their bags, a load of placards and just start protesting about like climate change and some other things they were talking about. And I just thought to myself, like, so amazing. I, in my eyes, I'm like, people have got like spirit again. They've got something to like fire in their belly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, and I think when I think about the future, I think of the fact that there are so many systems breaking now the education system the world of work you know the the we we picked up on those two and health i think system, the health maybe. system yeah. yeah and i think it's going to get a bit worse in the in the short term but i think after that i think we're going to see a host of like my my optimism leads me to think that we're going to see a host of innovation and just social change that's going to mean that we live a better world where we're like you know, we are thinking what is the best way to educate children rather than what's the best way to get more people into banking. Do you know what I mean? Like we're going to ask questions that are a lot more well thought of and less dogmatic. Yeah. No, I, I agree. With you. I think it's a quite a nice way to, uh, uh, weird actually when you said that, the first thing that came into my mind is I don't watch the news either. Um, very similar reasons to you. But I was back at my parents' house at the weekend, and my parents love the news. It's, it's, I don't understand it. It defies of logic to me, but they will tune in for the 6 o'clock news. I tune in for the, oh, I've got the news at 10. Like, I don't know, it's bizarre. But anyway, one of the things on there was there was this segment where they were in Iran, and um, they were showing the student protests over there, like tens of thousands of students, like, in, the, in that regime, I mean, you know, that regime compared to here is totally different kettle of fish. But I, I got the same feeling as you did. I was like, if they can protest as much as that there, then I sort of feel like, you know, the future is in kind of good hands, I hope. Exactly. And sorry, I just really want to pick up on the parents thing. Like, my parents are exactly the same. I go around, I'm like, <laughs> literally, I was here three hours ago, you're watching the same story. And it's like a constant narrative in the background. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, a chat for another day, but I the constant negative negativity, like, that the news pumps out it's, it can't be good for us but um it's not it's not good for us it, it's for clicks and it's for views right and exactly as one of my previous guests so eloquently put it what enrages engages mm. and what it leads to is just controversial clickbaity news all the time mm. and fear and, and fear yeah well invariably right it's it's the bad news that drives the most engagement I mean, it's, yeah, it's, that is a conversation that depresses me totally, but I don't don't watch the news anymore. I turned off all the news notifications on my phone because I just, it was like this, um, I was just like allowing these things to come into my life and just depress me at random times whenever they felt like during the day. And yeah, just, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, it's like, I do think 
with social media whilst there are some real negatives to it there are some real positives to it as well like yeah. you know you you look at it and you think people are so much more able to mobilize and to engage and to be themselves and to find a community you know what i mean find find belonging as well yeah. and and, <clears throat> and this is just incredible like i think you know i take my experience of experiencing racism if i could have you know, could have could have gone both ways. But if I if I had gone online and had met people who'd been through similar things, or people who could say like, actually, no, I think you're great, whatever, whatever, or like, I could yeah. just talk to you honestly about what happened and see their experiences, that would have just dramatically changed my outlook because I would have not I would not feel alone. And I think this goes back to the activism thing again. It's like people are so the younger generations are so much more open they're so much more courageously transparent about what they're experiencing and i know some people argue like are they you know there's this you know in my day you know people were just simple whatever and now everyone's this but at the end of the day it's like people are less afraid to be open about who they are and yeah. like I, I always say this to people it's like the world like why do we not why don't we do that more often you know, why don't we tell people the real truth? Like, you know, sometimes you feel great. Sometimes you don't like let people understand that it's okay to be human. Do you know what I mean? That's like, again, well, common humanity. your point, right? In, they've got a mouthpiece now where they can say that sort of stuff, but they can also say it and actually find other people who say it as well. Whereas, you know, when you and I were at school, your audience was the 20 or 30 other kids in your class. And that was it, right? It was, whereas now... You know, you can go on Twitter or TikTok or wherever, and you've suddenly got access to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people to then find that community. And it's exactly. um, having that mouthpiece is, and not being afraid to use it is, is quite powerful. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, okay, final question for you, Anish, is so I, I I've stolen this from another podcast, but I get my previous guest to ask a question of my next guest. And when I spoke to this guy on what day, day on Monday and he asked his question, I knew you were coming on. I was kind of, um, it's kind of weirdly how serendipitous it is that the questions seem to match up quite well with the next guest so far. This is what I've experienced and it's, it could be total luck. It could be, I don't know, something else. But the question to you is, if I were to give you 10 thousand pounds with the sole purpose of using it to improve your life what would you spend it on Ten thousand pounds sole purpose hmm. and the reason i was i'll give you some time to think about it but the reason mm -hmm. i was glad to ask you this question was because i know this this is kind of like your your, your arena and i thought ah, oh, this is someone who actually might have something in mind for this so I think my answer would actually be time. <clears throat> and what I mean okay. by that is I'd buy myself time to continue working on what I'm doing, basically. So okay. because because I am someone who, like, teaching burnout and stuff is, is very – or helping people deal with burnout and, like, start to ask questions a bit more philosophically is quite a um, – it's a real passion of mine, but also like deep down, you do get a lot of personal joy from it because you see people changing their lives. Yeah. And for me, like I, I, don't, I don't have any material needs, like as in like beyond what I already have, which I'm very grateful for. Like for me, it's a, the idea that I can spend more time like doing what I'm doing 
you know, basically concentrating that, um, using that money to do things solely on what I really, really want to do and not have to, you know, at times we need to do jobs that we may not want to that yep. bring the, the, you know, the paycheck in and being able to focus on doing something you truly enjoy in my eyes is the ultimate gift when it comes to work. Okay. Um, like it gives me so much happiness and so much uh, contentment. So I think I'd use that money to support me having the time to work on what I'm doing, which is probably not the most exciting answer, but that is a good answer. It's a good answer. And in the spirit of that then, so we're drawing to a close now. If someone has listened to this who wants to get in touch with you, maybe yeah. it's just for a chat, maybe it's to follow your content, maybe it's to talk to you about how they can introduce you to their bosses at work, where, where would be the best place for me to signpost them? So um, my website's a great place for that. Um, so it's just my name.com, Anish, anishhallen.com. Okay. Um, but also, if not, um, on Instagram or LinkedIn. That, okay. So I, I post Instagram content, like shorts, majority on like things like meditation and burnout. Um, but also, yeah, feel free to just uh, ping me a message on there or um, LinkedIn as well, and I'll, I'll get back to you. Okay, perfect. And I, you know, I really enjoyed our chat uh this morning i i say this to all my guests because you never know what you're going to talk about and you never know what's going to come up and that's the kind of the beauty of the 10 questions but i love every time i do one of these podcasts where i take away stuff that i didn't know before or i feel like that someone may be listening to this who actually would benefit from it so i just wanted to say a massive thank you for that and uh for sharing your time with us this morning i appreciate it and my pleasure. And yeah, thank you for uh, having me on and, and for listening to me as well. I appreciate that. That's my, my pleasure. That was 10Q interview with Mr. Anish Hallen. If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did since still being here. Feel free to share your thoughts on any of the social channels. 10Q interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And the next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Thanks.